felt good being able to walk up here. <laughs> if you have your Bible with you this morning, uh, if you want to open up to the second chapter of Revelation, we'll be in Revelation chapter 2 this morning. Now, let me ask this. If Jesus were to write a letter to Highland Hills, if, if he was going to read and review online of what he thought about this church, what do you think he'd say? What do you think he would have to say about it? Think of it. If, if Christ himself would in addressing the strengths and the weaknesses of this church, or what our greatest need is. Wouldn't we want to hear what he has to say to us? Um, and, and understand this, the greatest need of the local church, it's not to be more impressive by worldly standards of measurement. It's, it's not whether there's a bigger crowd, uh, a better building, or, or being able to boast about all the things that we're able to do. The greatest need of the local church is to be faithful, to be faithful to Jesus. It's about being able to hold fast to the gospel and to live lives that are pleasing to Him. And fortunately for us, God has given us everything that we need to know right from wrong, uh, to make our lives right with Jesus, and to live in a way that pleases Him. And we find all of that in His written word. And as we begin this series, as we look at the letters to the seven churches of Revelation, we're going to discover that these letters not only had relevance to the churches they were addressed to all the way back then, but they also have relevance for us here today. And as we look at the first letter, it's addressed to the church in Ephesus, and we'll discover that they lost it. They lost something that many people lose. It's something that people lose between their wedding day and the day that the Lord takes them. It's what happens between parents and their child when that child is born and the day that they start complaining about how much trouble and frustration they have. It's what happens between the day of a loved one is diagnosed with, with an awful condition and the day we start thinking of them thinking of them as a burden. In each of those cases, divorced spouses, frustrated parents, uh, a burdened family member, what happened is there was a loss. There was a loss that could cost the loss. And gradually, almost imperceptibly, what was once done from genuine love becomes a little more than a duty or a chore. Or a chore. And maybe today, that's how some of us feel about Christianity today. Maybe, maybe you're just slogging through, hanging on, doing your duty. And if it is, if that's you, there is hope. And we find it right here in our text this morning. So I want to pray, we'll read our text, and we'll look to your word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we have this opportunity to meet on this rainy Sunday that we're still able to worship you freely and openly. Father, I just pray for our hearts to be open um, and for us to just maybe do some needed attention and focusing on our own lives, seeing where maybe we might come up short in following you and being faithful to your church. Lord, open our hearts, open our minds, allow us to hear these words as they were written to us. And that's what you do. The Revelation chapter 2, starting in the first verse, our text reads, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, 
the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know you. Your toil is your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. But the test of those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. You have not grown up. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love of the Lord. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the work you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove the lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the work of the Nicolaitan, the child for him. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers. I will bring to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise. Now, the first thing that I want us to look at this morning is the authority of Jesus. Let's look at the authority of Jesus. Revelation chapter 2, it opens with the words to the angel of the church in Ephesus right. The first church that Jesus is going to address is in Ephesus. And Ephesus was this important city in early Christianity. Paul ministered there in Acts 19 and 20. Uh, the letter to the Ephesians was obviously addressed to them, as were First and Second Timothy. Uh, first Corinthians was written from Ephesus. Early church tradition even suggests that the Apostle John ministered there, which means that his letters may have been addressed to issues in the church in and around Ephesus. But he goes on and says, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks among the seven golden lampstands. In the first chapter of Revelation, we're told that there are seven stars, that the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the lampstands, those are the seven churches. And Jesus, picturing himself walking among the lampstands, tells us that he is present with his people, that he is present and in control right now. Let me ask this. How would your attitude in worship change? How would your attitude be different if, say, the governor of Kentucky was here today? How would it be different if the president of the United States was here today? We'd be more attentive, more responsive, more deliberate, more careful about what we're doing. But understand this, there is someone infinitely more important with far more authority than any person who is with us here today. Let's look at the address to the church. In verses 2 and 3, it's one sentence in Greek, and Jesus states nine positive things about how the church, about the church in Ephesus. He says, look guys, I know your work. He says, I know the good things that you've been doing. I, 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 let me ask, are you ever, do you ever get discouraged because no one ever seems to notice what you're doing? I think it's so important to be with you that he sees what you're doing. Because I know your work. He says, I also know your toil and, and their patient endurance. Uh, and those first three characteristics, Jesus knows about them. They have that similar ring, don't they? Work, toil, endurance. And what that we see is that the church in Ephesus that is persevering. 
Jesus also says that he knows that they cannot bear with those who are evil. That's a good thing for a church. They should not tolerate evildoers. That's a great thing. Even, even if the world thinks that they're positive, even if the world thinks, boy, you guys are great, we cannot and we will not win the world's approval by supporting those who are evil. Jesus also knows that the church in Ephesus that they tested those who called themselves apostles. And he said that they found them to be false. Um, just testing and finding false, uh, those false who claim to be apostles, it, it, it seems to indicate that there were people going around to the churches in the area uh, claiming to be messengers of other churches or apostles. These things weren't true. And it may be that the Athenian church was actually obeying the instructions in 2 John uh, verses 7 and 10 about testing and refusing false apostles. But we do know that even today, there are false teachers in the church. There are false teachers today just as there was 2,000 years ago. And that means that we need to know our scripture. We need to know the gospel. We need to know the Bible so that we can tell and know the difference between someone who is increasing our faith in Jesus by telling us the truth, by telling us about His greatness, and someone who's just trying to make us feel good about ourselves. Some of these teachers just show up and, hey, it's a pep talk today. We're going to encourage you to rely on your own resources. Jesus praised the church for its endurance in verse 2. And he says that they're bearing up in a way things have not grown and have not gotten better. And really, we can summarize all of these nine things. The good things that the Ephesian church is doing by grouping them into two categories deeds and theology. And Jesus says everything about your deeds, everything about your actions, you're good. You're working, you're toiling, you're enduring. You're bearing up for Jesus' name, and you're not getting tired. And he also says everything about your theology is good, too. They recognize the difference between good and evil. They test those who claim to be messengers of other churches, and they refuse to recognize that. But the one thing, the one thing the church seems to be lacking, it, it, it seems to indicate the Ephesian church is just muddling through. They're going through without a whole lot of joy. They're holding out. They're holding out strong with determination. It may be that they're just slipping into that old pattern of going through the motions. All of those good things, these nine things that Jesus mentioned, are broken. Jesus doesn't merely say what he has against the church, the abandonment of their first love. He gives them a plan of action to address the situation, a way to correct the problem. And in verse 5, there's a three-step program. 
Jesus had his famous words. He says, Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works of your Lord. The first thing that Jesus tells the Ephesian church to do is to remember. Now, I remember when I met Andrew.
stopping and thinking on your need for Jesus, that will fan the flames of your love for Him. Thinking on God's mercy and in giving you your spouse that you didn't deserve, uh, it'll refresh your passion for your spouse. And the same goes for some family, some children, and your church. If you're married, do you remember how you felt when you were dating? Probably a little scared. Maybe a little bit. Is it okay for this woman? If you have kids, do you remember the whole thing? God would give us people that we can show the self-sacrificial love of Christ. Now, I'm not saying that the Ephesian church, that they didn't love Jesus anymore. He was their first love, and they did love him. Sometimes honeymoons, they don't last very long. Now, someone has said the honeymoon is the period of time between I do and you better. And I don't know if you are still at the I do point or you better be point. I don't know if you're honeymoon. I've heard about this woman whose husband releases some drugs and sexual, um, not as romantic anymore, and and, and, and she just desperately wanted him to show her affection. And a young married couple moved in next door, and they were so in love. They're still in that honeymoon phase. And, and she would watch out the window because, you know, So she watches every day, and they come to the front door, and he gives a big old hug, and then puts a big old sloppy kiss. Watches this for a couple days, and finally she grabs her husband and he says, "Okay, I want you to watch this." And she says, "I want you to watch this. You, you see them over there? You see what he's doing? Why don't you do that?" Your turn serving or greeting comes around way too often. You, you keep on waiting for someone else to wipe the tables down after a meal, but you know, it's just cold. And the solution for these problems, it's, it's not for the church to hire workers so we don't have to be bothered with the problem or... Jesus did for us. And we'll 
to and say, don't want to become people who want to serve others because he served others. The gospel makes us, it encourages us to love other people the way we do. And I, I need to share an important truth today. I am not the only minister. See, we're all called to be ministers. Every single one of us. But I call you to minister. And you might be thinking, well, hey, that's what we're paying you for. And what I mean is you can't hire me to serve Jesus to you in your place. You can't say, I'm going to pay you to pray, to do my praying. I'm going to pay you to do my soul winning. I'm going to pay you to be merciful. And, and those things that ministers are supposed to be out there going to do today. We are all called to minister. We are all called to serve. And there will be a day. Someday we'll, we'll wish that we served others in that way. Someday we'll wish that we rejoiced in every opportunity to make a sacrifice for the needs of the church. There will be a day when we regret not imitating Jesus and living the way he did. Jesus didn't claim to be served. He was the greatest who will ever live we all have a long way to go. But Peter Jesus said, remember, remember the Lord, and it will help you want to serve others. The second action step that Jesus gave the church in Ephesus is for them to repent. They need to repent. Um, they needed to turn away from the way that they're thinking. Turn away from that idea of presuming on Jesus and turn away from all those things that, that, that make you lose sight of his worth. Turn away from all of those things that dull your appetite for the Bible. Turn away from those things that steal your time and don't fulfill. Turn away from the pride, that self-sufficiency that keeps you from your knees to Jesus. doesn't want you to spend time with them reluctantly. And he doesn't want you to spend time with her reluctantly. And your family and your spouse, they can tell whether you're just going through the motions of doing that, plodding along, persevering, enjoying your Jesus. They would much rather hold you joyfully, delighting, Loving them, but by seeking their happiness and what's best for souls. If you're not Jesus, then Jesus is not Jesus is not honored by joyless obedience. Because you know, you've seen those people in church, they're there every time, and if a smile would actually cross their face, they would probably crack. Proclaiming that other things are more exciting than he is, more rewarding, more intriguing, more stimulating. And that kind of 
perseverance is not an option. This is not going to be our secret sauce. What we do is satisfy because we get views off of this if you say it. And the truth is, there is nothing more satisfying than knowing God. And there is nothing that will make you happier than following Jesus. Remember, repent, and the third thing that Jesus calls the church in Ephesus to do is to do the works he gave us. It's just that simple. And the, the, the works done at first are probably the kind of things that people do when their minds and their hearts are, are overwhelmed with devotion. And evidently, this kind of devotion has faded or has gone into the background in the church of Ephesus. And Jesus says, Remember how things used to be. Repent of the things that have drawn you and pushed you away. And do the things that give the church. Now, the seriousness that Jesus takes his first love, it, it can't be seen. It can be seen in the way that he threatens the church in, in Ephesus at the end of verse 5. Before having called them to remember to repent and, and do what they did at first, he says, if you don't, if not, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. Now, remember the lampstand symbolized the church. So, so this is nothing less than a promise to basically unchurch the church. He says, if you do not repent, I'm going to take away your standards. Why does he take this so seriously? Why is he ready to remove this lampstand of the church in Ephesus? Because they had forsaken their first and greatest commandment. So Jesus doesn't stop there. He gives one final positive characteristic in verse 6. He says, Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, the and we don't know who the Nicolaitans are. We don't know who they are. The only other place they're mentioned in the Bible is in verse 15 of chapter 2 of Revelation. Uh, and because verse 14 mentions idolatry and sexual immorality, it may be the teaching of the Nicolaitans and even the others. But the important thing for us to see is that some ideas that get floated in church. So the church, the church in Ephesus, they're doing nine things right. But that one thing, that one thing they've abandoned, the love they had at first, it threatens to nullify everything they're doing right. Loving God, and they say loving God is the first and greatest thing. One church 
there a way to grow in your love for Him? It's to think on the gospel. To think on God's holiness and justice against sin. The peril of your own condition. The provision that He made Himself. And your need of Christ. The last thing that we get to in this letter is the letter of Paul to Timothy. Letter Paul to Timothy. The first letter finishes with a command for those with ears to hear. He who has an ear, let him know. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the Now, Jesus would speak this way in the Gospels, and while this letter is to the church in Ephesus, these words are addressed to the churches, plural. And he closes with a promise at the end of verse 12. To the one who comes, to the branch, And that promise it declares that those who conquered will enjoy privileges that were lost when Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden of Eden. Jesus was heralded as the conqueror in chapter 5. And he conquered as the lamb standing at the stake. Your faith is Jesus conquering by faithfully hearing of God's holiness. And his conquest As those, those who do, they will eat from the tree of life. And the tree of life will be completely satisfied. And those who fail to conquer because they prioritize and value other things than Jesus, they feel remorse for their sins. If you ever look at your frustrating spouse and see the bride and the groom of their wedding day, if you look at your grass and see the newborn baby, if you look at your ill or afflicted loved one and see someone that you love, someone that you'll miss when they're gone, if you look at your new church and see those for whom Christ died, you his steadfast mercy and everlasting love. Remember the way you prayed. Remember the way you prayed when you first loved the one who died. God says, repent and do the right thing. This morning, That there is only one solution for our sins. And that's Christ. That He knows us. That we can't save ourselves. But He does. And that's what He did when He stepped into this world, lived a perfect, sinless life, to be seized and put on trial, to be beaten and bloodied, to be led to a cross. Into a large room, put on that very bed, and he 
every time we come together. And as we leave today, may we leave with the same mindset that they had when we rose up out of the water many, many years ago for the some of us in the waters of baptism. May that same mindset be with us this week as we go with the love of Jesus and the guiding of the Holy Spirit in what we say, what we do, who we meet, and who we reach out to. Thank you for being here today. Go with the love of Jesus. Amen.